Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Jack White, your host here on Turbulence alongside George Shalloway. We are here this week for an early edition, a day early to be specific, of our podcast this week. George, you know, things are starting to, uh, you know, spring these days. Golf is in midseason, opening days tomorrow. The NFL draft is coming up this month. What are you probably most excited about in the sports world right now? Well, I'm excited for the uh, professional sports to start taking off now that, you know, men's and women's college basketball is starting to come to a close. And with MLB opening day starting tomorrow, it's definitely going to be nice with that, you know, daylight savings, uh, lighter, longer. And, you know, those those baseball games first pitch around 7.05, 7.10. It'll be nice to, you know, start watching some of those on, on the television. And maybe Definitely in person, nice. who knows? Oh, man. I mean, when the cherry blossoms come around, you know it's baseball season here in the D.C. area. So before we get into it, we are going to talk a little bit of opening day later in the show. But before we get started here, George, I got me a trivia question for you. And for those that don't know, I will be honest because I'm an honest man. Before we got on the show, we had a technical glitch. I had a trivia question for George. And in the midst of that glitch, when we were off air, he got it in about five seconds. So I'm going to ask that same question, and then I'll give him the one that I actually came up with by myself. But, George, the question was, as you obviously know, Brenda Fries this year won National Coach of the Year. It was just announced earlier uh, this week. Uh, what other awards did she win? So the answer to that question, is, as we discussed earlier, was you were mentioning her winning the AP National Coach of the Year. In addition to that, she won – Coach of the Year from ESPN and Coach of the Year from The Athletic, along with Big Ten Coach of the Year. Well, folks, there you go. You learn something new every day, and you are now informed. But let's see if we can stump George here with another Terrapin trivia question. George, I want to ask you, who became the first Maryland men's player to win an ACC title and a national championship? I'm going to let you think about it during the show. If you cannot get it, I will give you multiple choice come the end of the show when we announce the answer. All right. Let me think about it. All right. All right. All right. So we are going to start off today with a little bit of men's basketball recap on the season and what's to come in the future for the men basketball, Maryland Terrapins. George, I know you and I were talking a little bit. You know, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous because I know, you know, Reese Mona's checking out. Daryl Morsell's a senior. Nothing has kind of been swimming in the water. He's going to be back. Um, and, you know, a lot – the big talk, obviously, is around Eric Ayala and Andrew Wiggins, two guys that really had to step up this year. Um, and they both did tremendously. Obviously, they didn't leave with the result they wanted, being eliminated in the second round of March Madness. But I, th I think from my perspective, I think it's really important that these guys come back because the last few years, Maryland hasn't really been on the, uh, the good end of the stick in regards to recruiting. And it's important this year that they definitely bring in some players. Uh, Mark Turgeon is able to sell his team, his facilities, you know, all of the above to his players. Because Maryland, I really do think, George, they're in a time of rebuilding. And they haven't been in that position in a while. And it's amazing how quick, you know, the switch can flip. When just a couple of years ago in 2020, when the pandemic struck, they were 22 and four, a team that was, you know, predicted to go to the final four. And, you know, who knows, they could have hung a banner, but, you know, we'll obviously never know that. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But I know you, you were mentioning, you know, a little bit about Eric Ayala and Andrew Wiggins and their potential, whether they're going to be back next season. 
Well, I mean, they're, they're, because they're kind of older for uh, going to their senior year, they're both already 22. They would be coming back and they'd be in the you know, 23 or so, um, which kind of makes you think, well, what would they be doing then? Because going into the NBA or any professional league at, you know, 23 and a half or so is a little bit older. Um, even though it's not old, it's old in, in basketball terms because you got, you've got people that are one and done. You've got people that, you know, skip college straight away and play overseas. So, so they had definitely are probably going to, you know, test the waters. Like, like there's a lot of, you know, chatter about, but personally, I mean, you guys have already done three years, come back at the degree and then go, it's, you know, those leagues are still going to be there. An extra seasoning won't hurt you, but we'll see. I mean, look at, look at, you know, our, our, our go-to guy in Cowan, he came back for his senior year, had a great year and then still ended up, you know, didn't get drafted in the NBA, played in the G League. You know, some could say that's better than playing, you know, overseas, but, you know, that's up for a different debate. But uh, but like you were saying earlier about how Turge has to be able to, to recruit these guys and bring back so that way this rebuilding program, you know, which is really atrocious to say, you know, Maryland should never be in a rebuilding phase, but it seems that it's been that way, you know, last year and again next year will be. Um, but, you know, He's already lost a couple of these recruiting battles that he's been in the last, you know, two weeks or so. I don't know if you caught it a couple weeks ago, um, a four or five star center, depending on what source you look at. Uh, Anak Boyaki might be butchering the name, but um, 6'11", you know, center, power forward, uh, decommitted from, you know, Michigan State and Tom Izzo up there. And, you know, Maryland got down to his, you know, top three. And he ends up choosing Arizona State over Maryland. You know, Maryland desperately could have used someone like that, a 6'11 big that could play. And then again, you know, just, you know, yesterday, actually, um, Bobby Pettiford, who was also considering coming to Maryland, a point guard. We need a point guard as well. Um, top, you know, four-star point guard. He uh, decommitted from Louisville recently and was you know back open on the market and he ends up choosing kansas over maryland which is as we know you know mark turgeon's alma mater but there's right there two players that he's missed out on and or he's you know swung for the fences on and whiffed and it doesn't help that we don't know what his status is is he going to get a contract extension not in favor of that are they going to buy him out and, and tell him you know to start looking elsewhere um, who knows maybe he wants to go back to the big 12 and you know maybe go back to like oklahoma or something i know that he was a kansas guy so maybe yeah. a little bad blood but still back in the midwest so we got to just wait and see but this is very important um to figure out what this roster is going to look like next year because there's obviously going to be transfers every year but especially after this covid year i'm sure there can be more transfers than usual um you know i'm wondering what's chole going to do he was the non-factor this year it was really a bust is Chol going to leave? If and if he does, that opens up another scholarship. Uh, does Aquan Smart leave? You know, he was the combo guard, three star from Illinois, an eighty-six overall, three star. Maryland was the only Power Five school to offer him. Maybe he can't play in the Big Ten level and wants to go to a, a smaller conference, get more playing time. Who knows? Uh, same thing. Marcus Dockery was an eighty-eight overall, three star from DC. Played his you know high school basketball up in Brewster, up in New Hampshire. Uh, he also got offers from, you know, JMU, Cincinnati, GW, where Ricky Lindo ended up transferring to last year, Bryant, Seton Hall. So some mid-majors, nothing, you know, great. Um, no, you know, blue bloods there. Uh, he barely saw the floor this year as a freshman. Um, and when you don't see the floor as a freshman, 
does that discourage you or do you want to come back and play for the, the same team, especially if it's rebuilding? Who knows? Um, and then, you know, James Graham enrolled early. Um, he's from Wisconsin. Does he ended up staying? He didn't, he barely saw the floor. I understand he was, you know, a 17 year old comes in mid season, but still when you're a 95 overall four star, you know, with offers from other big 10 schools, Wisconsin, Michigan state, Indiana, Iowa, does he want to go back closer to home and, you know, play for the hometown Wisconsin? I don't know. Um, it's just really frustrating to see how you lose just two players from the men's team and you go to this kind of, you know, struggling yeah. season when the women last year lost all of their starters as well. They lost Kayla Charles. They lost Taylor Mike sell. They lost Shakira Austin. Uh, and, and, you know, coach freeze was able to hit home runs with her transfers uh, this year with, you know, Chloe Bibby and Alicia Stiles and Katie Benzin and even Mimi Collins because she didn't play on the team last year. And and Maryland gets, you know, Jarius Hamilton uh, and Galen Smith, who were not nearly the level of, of Chloe Bibby and Katie Benzin and Mimi Collins were. So uh, it's just frustrating to, to watch that and, and know that it's going to be the same kind of struggle next year, especially if Turge can't land any of these really, you know, highly – uh, rated prospects, but what do you think, my friend? Do you think that yeah, I mean, these guys that I mentioned are going to stay, leave? I mean, what do well, you think? For me, it's less of a concern about the talent on the floor in regards to a long-term issue. I, I know Mark Turgeon definitely has a prestigious resume, both playing and coaching. Um, it doesn't blow anyone out of the water, I would probably say, but overall, um, I would definitely give him an above-average grade at his time here in Maryland. Um, he might not. Uh, some of his players might not because they haven't gone the distance. They haven't, they haven't met their talent level when it really matters on the floor. And I think in regards to the long-term answers for this men's Terrapin team, it, it, the, the question remains, is Turgeon on the hot seat? Is, is it his fault? Is the recruiting his fault? Does some of the blame go on the athletic director, athletic director Damon Evans? I, like, where does it fall? Because, George, you referenced it's disappointing. We don't, as fans, we don't want to have to get to watch this for years and years and years to come because we know Maryland as a university and as an athletic program is better uh, than how this men's team is doing right now. So I think it's really important uh, during the offseason that Maryland does a little, you know, searching off the floor in regards to recruitment before they handle, you know, Eric Ayala, Chole, um, you mentioned, um, was it Hakeem Hart you mentioned? No, I think he'll probably stay, but like Aquan Smart or Aquan Marcus Smart, Dockery, them, those were two of the freshmen that came in this year, barely saw the floor. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it doesn't make sense with the recruiting he's done. <laughs> you, know, you say it out loud. I mean, it's like you're recruiting some of these guys, three, four stars, you don't even use them. You know, when I mean, when Chol gets up off the, you know, at least, you know, when, you know, when it was 2020 and there were fans uh, in the stands at Xfinity before the pandemic, you know, you get off the bench, the, the place would shake. I mean, he's going in and, but he's only going in for about two minutes at a time. It's ridiculous. It's, he doesn't play. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's some, frustrating, you know, yeah. so to see that these guys that you're using these scholarships on aren't seeing the floor. And then, you know, you're putting in Reese Mona, who was a former walk-on who doesn't do much. I mean, Sure, he's a high motor guy, but do you really want just a high motor who doesn't score, doesn't play exceptional defense? I mean, when he came in in the Alabama, we discussed this, you know, yeah. he, he comes in, 
uh, has the turnover. Uh, they go down, you know, score. That's right there, a four-point swing. You were going on a fast break. He turns the ball over. They go and score. It's four points right there. I mean, it didn't matter four points. It was a blowout, but still, the momentum I mean, turns. The, the bottom line is Mark Turgeon is recruiting players that he believes can compete at the Division One level in a Power Five conference. And I think the perfect example was against Alabama in the second round of March Madness when Maryland started off on fire. Andrew Wiggins, Eric Ayala, Daryl, all these guys, all the leaders came out firing, blistering on both ends of the floor. And for some reason, Mark Turgeon decided to put in three of his bench guys when they were up by eight points in the first half. I believe it was 20 to 12. From that moment, not even for a little extended period of time, not for about 10 minutes, the rest of the game, Maryland was off balance. They were off balance. They, the communication was off from Turgeon to the players, from players to the Turgeon, the players on the floor. It was very bad. And it, that's disappointing because we, George, you and I know, you as an undergrad student, me as a grad student there, we're both from the DMV. We know this team historically is better within the last 20 years. This team is a phenomenal, prestigious basketball program, one of the best in the country. They're better than this. But where does the problem lie? And I think that's what needs to be found out this offseason in order yeah. for Maryland to have a chance to compete in the near to distant future in the Big Ten. It's, it's, they had nine teams go to the tournament this year. Maryland will not be one of those teams. And if they are, they will struggle. They will have a tough time competing against those teams. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It's just frustrating because, you know, the football team has so much hype and excitement around it with what Locks is doing, culture changing, bringing in top 25 recruiting class, getting five-star players. And, you know, Mark Turgeon has been here for a decade now. It feels like the program's just, you know, a sinking ship right now, honestly. At least the fans aren't super into, into the team right now. And it's just frustrating because, like we said, you know, last year this team – would have been, you know, probably a two seed, uh, was at one point ranked number three in the country. So it's just crazy what two players can do for your team, and then you can't refill that talent. And that's what was striking. If you, I don't know how he couldn't sell it last year to show what his team was able to do and get players of that caliber to come back and play for him. He, he missed out on the major transfers last year. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, Alabama, Nate Otis, was. this is only his second year at the helm of the Crimson Tide, and he's created a, a monster down there. But um, it was just crazy. And UCLA, a team that had to literally play in game, and they end up beating you know, Michigan last night. Maryland got bullied every time that they played Michigan. And when they did have a lead against Michigan, they gave it away and squandered it. So – it's and just what, is it, what does that say about UCLA? The last time, George, you and I were watching UCLA in a Final Four, Kevin Love was out there, and Russell Westbrook was in college. I mean, what, what, that says a lot. And I think, you know, Maryland, they're in that kind of situation, that bubble right now, where the talent has just decreased. And the other day, when you and I were talking, you know, we talked about how Mark Turgeon, for some reason, we don't know why, um, we don't know how, but he's unable to recruit within the DMV. 
he hasn't recruited, I think, George, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said from DeMatha in about 20 seasons. Yeah. Well, he, he wasn't there this whole, that whole time, but whole he has, time. He's been there under his time, time, he has never signed a player from DeMatha. He's correct. never signed a player from DeMatha. And that was with that whole Hunter Dickinson, you know, fiasco with all yeah. that stuff. Think about the players, though, i.e. Kevin Durant, that have come out of this area that have not, not just, you know, blown past Maryland, yeah, but Kevin Durant didn't go to DeMatha. That wouldn't he didn't go been. to DeMatha. He didn't go to DeMatha. The players in this area, they didn't just blow by Maryland. They chose to turn it down. So it, I really do believe there is an X factor that is kind of, um, you know, underneath the bridge right now that none of us don't know about. But I, Maryland has a lot of unanswered questions that they need to face this offseason, um, and they need, they're going to need to resolve because the Big Ten is a – is a hot conference. It has a lot of talent and a lot of uh, growth still. Teams like Illinois, they're a young team. They're a young and up-and-coming team. And, you know, they were, they were obviously spoiled uh, in the tournament this year. Um, congratulations, though, to Loyola Chicago. That was a heck of a game. But the bottom line is the Big Ten is only growing, and Maryland is trending the wrong way. So I definitely think, you know, you got to stay optimistic. You got to stay optimistic and trust the process. You always do. I think they will figure it out. I think I really do believe so. I know a lot of people believe it's Turgeon's fault. Some don't. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a business and it's a relationship. You, you can't, you can't answer the question unless you put the pieces together. Yep. And Turgeon and the talent are the two main components for this equation to come together. So it's right. interesting to see. I mean, I'm really looking forward to next season. I know fans are going to be back. I know it's going to be buzzing in Xfinity. Um, but will Mark Turgeon be standing on the sidelines? Well, we still have to wait and see a little bit. Um, it's lo- looking like he probably is if they haven't done anything about it yet. But who knows? Uh, we'll wait and see. It's just definitely, it's you know, this is the time that everyone's a little critical are more critical of the team when they're out and, you know, other teams are still playing in, into April. So that's why, you know, you, you hear a little bit of the frustration in, in my voice. That's why, but what could have been, that's all you have to say. It's a, what could have been kind of season, but you know, to be less pessimistic, the woman, the woman, the women's basketball team for the Maryland Terrapins had a ridiculous season this year. Regular season. The postseason was well slightly disappointing. I think in, you and I have had this conversation now, and I still don't know how you judge their season. I don't. I really don't. With, with a, a team that went 22-2, and 26-2 overall, 26-3 overall, excuse me, 26-3 overall, 26-2 before they lost to Texas um, in the Sweet 16. I don't know how you judge that season when you have a coach that won four awards in this season. You have every player on your team at minimum starter. I should say, I should be specific at starting at the starter level was at minimum third team, all American there. Maryland had two first team, all Americans, I believe diamond Miller and Ashley Owosu. But the bottom line is, they came into Texas, George, and I really believe they played down to their competition. I'm going to tip my cap to Texas because they played a heck of a game. Throughout the game, there were stretches where I thought that offense of Maryland was just – it was going to burst through the door. In Texas, they weren't going to be able, you know, to keep – you know, to keep with them, to keep pace. But 
they they took advantage of Maryland's weaknesses and they really came out. They played a man to man for a majority of the game and they completely, completely forced Maryland to shoot mid range jumpers. Maryland's strength it lies within the paint. Mimi Collins was inexistent. Chloe Beatby was inexistent in the fourth quarter. None of them were in. Katie Benson was not even in the game until about like a minute left. So I really think in judging this season, I, I, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I, I, I'd probably say like an A minus because of just how they performed and how dominant they were night in and night out. But the result, it just, it throws a huge wrench in how you view this team. But the reason I give an A minus is because I know, I know this, this is just the, the kerosene to the fire that's going to be lit next season when they come back. I would give this season an A for the women's team for these reasons. Coach Freeze took an entire new starting five this year to win the Big Ten with one loss in the Big Ten, only lost by two points to Ohio State, then went on a 15-16 game win streak until they lost to Texas. And the only other loss before that was the second game of the season, I believe, to Missouri State. Missouri State at the Beach Bubble Tournament down in Florida. So that what I'll call a fluke. First game jitters, new team. That was the still, you know, what, October, November? First trip with COVID, everything else. Uh, I, okay, they had a slip up there. Losing by two points in one of their worst games of the season, by the way, at Ohio State. Still to only lose by two. And then for going on a 15-16 game win streak, winning the Big Ten regular and postseason tournament, that was, you know, fantastic. And let's not forget, all of these starters that started this year did not start on this team last year. She got Chloe Bibby, as we all know, from Mississippi State. Katie Benson transferred in from Harvard. Ashley Wosu, Diamond Miller were on the team last year but weren't starters. And Mimi Collins was on the team last year but ineligible to play because she was a transfer from Tennessee. Uh, also, you know, Styles transferred in from Berkeley. And, and think about all the players that, that, you know, Coach Freeze lost last year. She lost Kayla Charles to – the WNBA draft playing, you know, up in Connecticut now, um, Taylor Mikesell uh, to Oregon. Um, she lost Shakira Austin to Ole Miss. She lost some good players. And she still was able to take this team to go 26-3. and three And we also – the- we got to think about it, too. She recruited the number two player in the country right in her backyard in Baltimore, Angel Reese. Who got hurt against Towson and missed the majority of the season. Didn't fully look comfortable, I'm sure, after – more you know rehab and time off she'll be back to 100 percent next year but you're right think about all of the weapons that she'll have and as we are fully aware chloe bibby and katie benson have the opportunity to return with the ncaa eligibility next year i hope both of them come back but even if one of them comes back that'll be a a, a great you know uh, a great thing katie benson you know led the entire ncaa and three-point field goal percentage so she's a weapon Chloe Bibby can, you know, unless it's against Texas, you know, can go in the paint and drive or pop it from three. So very dynamic team. And again, this was all of those players. Well, not all of them because Chloe Bibby played for Mississippi State, but, but the young players, you know, Faith Masonis, Angel Reese, 
Diamond Miller, Ashley Awozu, all of their first time in the NCAA tournament this year. So give them a little seasoning now and you'll, you know, taste it next year, hopefully. But that's why I'd say it was still an A of a season for all the things that we said that they were able to overcome and still go 26 and three. But it was just, it just stunk to watch, you know, South Carolina obliterate, you know, uh, Texas, you know, my dad is, as you know, was, is a Gamecock. So he was very excited that they won 62 to 34, but, but man, that was a beating. And, I mean, that uh, was, that was abusive. And I mean, I kind of, I will admit, I'm going to have to say when I was watching the Maryland, Texas game, the whole time, I never really even thought about, will Maryland lose this game? I was so confident. They, they just don't lose. And all I could think about was, will we be able to handle South Carolina in a couple nights? Yeah. And I mean, we could, you know, talk about that, you know, for the next 12 hours if we wanted to, but we'll never know. Um, obviously the final four, very, very intrigued to watch that. A lot of good teams in it. I'm very surprised um, that Arizona is in it. Uh, congratulations to them. But for me, they are definitely the underdog. Uh, it's going to be a really good matchup between UConn and them. Um, but I really do believe that the women's final four, the women's, in my opinion, George, the women's tournament this year has caught my eye more than the men's. I really believe because well, Maryland had a better chance to win it all. That's why. Well, I mean, you could, you could view, you could view it like that. I mean, if you really want to, if you want, if you want to take it from a bias angle, if you want to take it that way, sure. I mean, yeah, the, the woman, you would have had a better opportunity probably to get that national championship t-shirt and you know, all that as a fan. But I don't know. I mean, there were a lot of upsets early on in the men's tournament, but I, re I really feel like there was just a lot more global newsworthy things going on in regards to the women's with, you know, the weight room disparity, mm -hmm. uh, the COVID-19 tests, how women weren't getting the same as treatment as men. Um, the food was different. The women were not getting up to par food in comparison to the men. And I, I all three of those things, I don't understand why why I, I, it all just circles back to the NCAA but you know I know they took care of those issues the bottom line is though I really feel like that kind of um headline those headlines grabbed me a little more than the actual basketball to be honest with you that was being played uh, amongst the men so I I mean the men tournament don't get me wrong insane I got Gonzaga you know, winning three out of the seven of my brackets. All of them are pretty much trash. I know I'm in a pool with you right now. I'm getting absolutely torched by you and your brother. It's, it's embarrassing. But I really believe that, you know, Gonzaga is going to win the whole thing. And to be honest with you, I think it'd be icing on the cake. No team has ever gone undefeated through March Madness before. I, I think that'd be the best way to end it. I agree. I would though like to – I know this probably wouldn't happen, but I would really love to see Gonzaga play – in the Pac-12 for basketball, just solely basketball, because I know, like, let's talk about, like, in lacrosse. Johns Hopkins, a small little school, like Gonzaga is a small little school, plays in the Big Ten for lacrosse. It's the only, you know, uh, real sport that they do that for. And let, I know that I'm not taking anything away from their current conference, but play some more competition. Like, I would love to see Gonzaga playing UCLA, playing USC, playing Oregon, Stanford, all these, you know, good teams on a more regular basis. I know like when Gonzaga played Iowa this year, like that was a big game, but get some, put them in the pack 12. Let us see what this team could do on a, on a, you know, yearly basis against, I don't want to say better competition, but power five competition. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. I, 
I think that kind of falls into similar territory like we talked about um, in one of our first episodes about Notre Dame. Yep. You know, Notre Dame being an independent university, they don't, they don't play a lot of good – Well, just for football because they're ACC for everything else. They're ACC for everything else. For football, they're independent. Um, but they don't play a lot of good teams. And a lot of people out there, you know, that aren't Notre Dame fans that enjoy college football really – don't see Notre Dame as a top contender and believe they're very overrated. And I got to be honest with you. I don't disagree with those fans. They're, 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 they have an easy pathway to the college football playoff. And there are a lot of other teams, i.e. UCF that have arguably played better teams and have been able to get to that point undefeated, if not, you know, and haven't been rewarded the same. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, perfect example. They were ranked yeah. seventh in the country when it was all said and done. I, I mean, to be honest with you, teams like Notre Dame, Johns Hopkins, and Gonzaga, especially Gonzaga, you bring up a great point. That would add a whole new ruffle to college basketball. And I I'm really just thinking, yeah, just for basketball, bring him into Pac-12. For the other sports, no, but for basketball, yeah. let, 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 I mean, let us see it. That'd be yeah, fun. Gonzaga, I mean, Gonzaga can contend in basketball. I completely agree. I think that would be really exciting to get to watch. But, you know, we'll see what happens with, you know, the men's and women's teams in College Park. I think both have, you know, a lot of uh, positive things to look forward to. I think both have a few things to answer and worry about during the offseason. Um, so as we progress here a little bit, mentioned earlier the NFL draft coming up at the end of April, early May. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, a lot of mock drafts have come out. A couple pro days went on today, specifically Florida's. And Maryland's pro day was earlier in March. You know, we got to see some, some studs out there at the Cole Field House. But unfortunately, George, as you and I were talking about before we got on the air here, Maryland football is going to have to wait a little while longer to get their highest recruit out on the field. Five-star freshman recruit Terrence Lewis had surgery on a repair, tore ACL, and is out indefinitely. He was the number one inside linebacker and number 20 player in the country overall. So what were your initial raw reactions to that news? Dang it. I wanted to see him play in the fall. Those are, those are my initial reactions, but uh, I had, there's two ways you can look at this. Well, one, was, that, was that your censored reaction or like, was that your like, you know, <laughs> that, that was my censored reaction. Yes. Um, but, but regardless, you can look at it like two ways. Number one, this guy played his entire senior year, high school football season and won a state championship with a torn ACL. So he's a baller and will play through about anything. And that just shows you how tough he is or two. I'm great. You did that in high school, but could that affect you permanently going forward? Is there severe ligament damage that, that is going to take, you know, two years of recovery versus one year. Look at, cause the only thing I'm going to say is like, look at Bryce Love. He was a Heisman contender uh, comes back for his senior year to get his degree nothing wrong with that at all gets hurt gets drafted in I believe the third or fourth round by the WFT have you seen him suit up and, and play in a regular season game Not never a- never seen it happen it's been what two years now that he just right a- rode the pine um so I just hope that doesn't happen to this guy because he is a monster you know the number 20 player in the entire country last year the number one linebacker and for those that don't know, he's only 6'1", 200 pounds. He's, he's, he's not overwhelming, but the guy can run and he can hit. 
his highlight tape is insanity. It's ridiculous. I can't even put like a string of words together right now. It's absolutely phenomenal to watch. It's fun football. And I agree with you, George. I hope this doesn't loom to be something bigger than it actually is. But, you know, there's still hope because the linebacker room, yes, we, I know we were talking about this earlier with Chance Campbell departing. Uh, that lets, It's still going to be a good linebacking core. You got Ruben Hypolite last year. He was um, – Locks' first year. He was a freshman this year. So Locks' first full season, uh, he was the, the best linebacker to come out of that class. He was a four-star from Florida. Uh, Fanage Gote will still be, will be coming back. Uh, Brandon Jennings, the four-star who flipped from Michigan – uh, Jeremy Spragans, the junior college linebacker who's supposed to be really good. Uh, he's still got a lot of depth at the position. It just would have been nice to have the number one linebacker ranked in the class of 2020 joining us, especially after, you know, we have to see him put on the hat on the national signing day special, but uh, we'll just have to wait a little while and welcome, you know, Terrence when he's healthy. Absolutely. And not to mention, you know, on Brian Stewart's defense, you're going to have Darrell Nachami also. You got speed on the outside. And you mentioned Brandon Jennings. And, you know, he has been said to have a really, really early impressive camp thus far in spring ball out in College Park. And, you know, another interesting, talented newcomer to watch is Jerome Spragans. You know, I that linebacking core is pretty strong for the most part. It's just going to be what it comes down to, I feel like, for Maryland every year is health. I really, you know, I feel like they have the depth. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited. And, you know, we talked about, too, we both believe, I think, you know, I won't speak for you, but this seems to be uh, Talia's team this year. Um, And what we saw last year was kind of interesting, my initial reaction to that Northwestern game. I was just like, here we go again. And then Talia just came out like a whole new quarterback the next few weeks. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then COVID hit and then the season downhill. COVID but hit yes. and that, that did a number on the Terps. And but do you see how you're saying how you're excited for next season and this is Talia's team and there's hope? I'm just not feeling that right now for men's basketball. And that's what the shame is. But yes. continue. No, I, no, no, no. I want you to keep talking, but no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, there's all this hype around. You know, we're getting these great recruits. No, Locks is doing his thing. It's year three for him. He's bringing in new coordinators. You know, Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator who we worked with at Alabama with Tua. Like all this stuff, it's getting excitement around this team that hasn't had a lot of excitement for recently. That basketball isn't having. You bring up a good point. This is Locks' third year. He's been nothing. He he knew what he was coming into. He knew the job he took when he chose to become head coach here at Maryland. No, he was not walking into a dumpster fire by any means, but the bottom line is he was not walking into Tuscaloosa, Alabama. This is not the same program. It's completely different. And what he's done, George, he's been able to take what he's had around him and his outside connections. And he's been able to bring those in. Is it exactly like, you know, WFT and bringing in almost every former Carolina Panther or former Carolina Panther coach slash front office member? No, not to that level. But he's done a nice job in being able to bring talented pieces on and off the field to Maryland. And it's only only a matter of time before this team explodes. I thought it was going to be last year, but COVID took that two and one record and just I don't even blame the team for that. You, you can't play one game every three weeks. That's just, it, it's just, that's just bad. So I really think there's a lot of excitement, like you said, and hope around this team. 
And I don't know, maybe Mark Turgeon, Maryland Terrible, take some notes. I mean, seriously, because I mean, the, you know, the recruiting hasn't been even comparable in regards to men's basketball versus football. So it has I, been though in women's basketball. Oh, Give Coach Freeze the credit because she's able to do it like Coach Loxus. Oh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, George, in the past five years, Maryland has had a top 15 or higher recruiting class. I know in 2015, specifically, they were the number one overall recruiting mm-hmm. class. Yep. Um, Brenda Freeze, she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's doing. Uh, she's, she's talented. Um, she's done a nice job over the years, no doubt. But, you know, we're going to see. I know you and I are both very excited already. You know, it's April, you know, the draft rolling around. You know, things are starting to stir up a little bit in the NFL and college football. So, you know, slowly but surely the season will be here. But for now, tomorrow night we got a first pitch to look forward to on ESPN against the New York Mets, Scherzer, DeGrom. It's going to be good. It's going to be interesting. Four out of the five NLEs teams this year, George, are in the top 15. Number three is the Atlanta Braves. Number seven is the New York Mets. Number 12 is the Washington Nationals. Nationals, they're a little down on that list. Why do you think so? Well, because last season wasn't too good. Uh, but no, the, the Braves are a – they're a – I don't want to say a World Series contender because you still have to deal with the Dodgers in the NL, but they're – as you said, they're the favorites in the – the you know NL East, which is by far the best you know division of the NL, at least this, at least preseason wise, um, it definitely seems that way. But I don't even I, think we can abandon the Marlins. Uh, although last year was an abbreviated season, they made the playoffs the first time in 18 years. So I mean, they're 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 going to hang around. They compete. I've seen them compete against the Nationals. They've been a thorn in their side for years now. So believe me, I agree with you, George. The NL East is definitely a division to be reckoned with. And we'll see. I mean, and I'm not counting out the Phillies, but I'm not a big Phillies guy. And we've already discussed on this show numerous times about, you know, the guy named Bryce up there. So that, I won't that, even, that I, w- I won't named, even, I won't even touch that. That but, guy named Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So no, but I'm, I'm excited. And then in the AL, uh, we'll see if the Orioles are in a complete laughing stock this season. Maybe they'll get a little better. It's hard to get worse. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, the Orioles definitely, I think their fans know what they're, they're getting themselves into this season. I think it's, it's a two, three-year process up there in Baltimore, um, unlike what's going down on Half Street in D.C. right now. I think a little more excitement in that area in regards to uh, going deep into the postseason. But the Nationals – I'm just saying they're my AL team, so I know that you say you can't have an, an you can't NL really and have, AL team. That's but, you know. pretty bad. You can't have an NL and AL team especially when your AL team is the Beltway team down the road. Well, they only play each other, you know, two series a year. So for those six days, it's difficult, but it's okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, I, I believe the Nationals have a lot in front of them, a lot of potential. It it just, I think it comes down to health. I know Strasburg got a little dinged up during spring training. I know he's okay. Now he'll be ready to go um, for his first start. Um, and I, I, another thing, you know, I've just noticed over the years and it's amazing now because I remember the day when I was in high school that we signed Max Scherzer to a seven year, $210 million deal. And that deal is winding down and you can, you can see that you can't teach Max Scherzer's intensity by any means, but definitely, I mean, he gives up the home run ball. 
and he 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 tends to do that a lot. And when he does that, he's off. And when teams can hit his fastball, he's not he's not good. He's he's average at best. So I really do believe it's going to uh, pend a lot on this season, the back end of that starting rotation uh, with John Lester, Patrick Corbin, and Joe Ross, especially also with the long relievers and Eric Fetty, Austin Voth in the bullpen. Um, we're going to get to see some new guys, Brad Hand. Uh, we didn't really see a lot of Will Harris last year. I know he's coming off of a little bit of an injury, but um, hopefully he definitely performs better coming out as a reliever in the bullpen. But I'm looking forward to seeing this team. And I know there's some new weapons like Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber on the offensive side. So a lot of power, a lot of speed. And don't forget, it's not an abbreviated season this year. So we got a long haul. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're back, we're back to baseball. We're back, we're back to, you know, I don't want to say normal. It's not exactly normal. Um, but it will be nice that, you know, the DC has allowed a cap of 5,000 fans. So that will be fun to see uh, tomorrow night on TV. But, you know, you're, you're right. It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And I expect a lot. I'm going to be honest with you. I expect, from the, uh, I expect a lot from the, the old vet, Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, he chose to sit out last year. Yeah. Fine decision. That's a, that's, you know, he was faced with a tough decision, uh, chose to keep his family safe and himself. Totally fine. Totally respect that. But he had a heck of a spring training and he looks fresh and as he should. He, he, he looks healthy. He looks fresh. He looks excited. He looks ready to go. So, um, I well, really the last time that he did suit up, he won a world series. So let's not forget. And Hey, you know, maybe it's an every other year thing, every odd year. So we'll see if the nationals can make a push, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see a lot stands in the way. And I, you know, you hope COVID doesn't stand in the way. Cause I know earlier today it was announced one person from the nationals. There was no name attached to it. But one person uh, tested positive for the coronavirus and five people uh, were in contact with that person. No names were released. So I nor George know any of that information. But, you know, we'll see based on the starting lineups tomorrow when they come out, um, if it was anyone in the starting rotation um, or in the starting lineup that we'll see come tomorrow night. But, you know, it will be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you are as well. It's going to be a fun, fun season. I know spring has sprung and baseball is back, and that's, that's all that matters. So, folks, before we sign off here at Turpulence, my pal has a trivia question that he's got to think through and answer. Uh, yeah, I, you can repeat it, but I'm, I have an idea on who it might be, but I'm honestly I'm not as confident as I was about the first question. All right. So for those that are just joining or missed the question at the beginning of the show, I asked George who became the first Maryland player to win an ACC title and a national championship. Uh, my guess, I'm not sure. Is it Lonnie Baxter? That is not correct. Okay. That is not correct. So I will, um, because of that, since you didn't get it right, I will narrow it down for you to multiple choice. So the options okay. are Mike Grinnan, Terrence Morris, Juan Dixon, or Earl Badu. I don't think it's Juan Dixon. I think that I think he wanted me to say Juan Dixon, and it's not Juan Dixon. Um, but at the same time, if it's Juan Dixon, I feel like an idiot. Um. I don't, I don't know. Is it Juan Dixon? 
Is it Juan Dixon? It absolutely is Juan Dixon. Oh my gosh! Of course it is. It I should. Okay. Okay. Nice. Good. I'm tipping my hat to you. You can't see it, but my hat is being tipped. All right. Yep. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, I figured. I figured it was one of those questions. Like, okay, he's gonna hear the name, and it's gonna be boom, bang. He's gonna get this immediately. But I also felt like, okay, if it's multiple choice, you know, he actually might second guess himself a little bit. He might have, you know, he might he might stumble. Yeah, the, the reverse psychology sometimes works. Not today exactly. I thought it was Lonnie, but it was one. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You're, I think you're still up like two, three questions on me. So I think you still got a pretty substantial lead. So it's all good. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. As our friend McConaughey would say, well, folks, we are going to head off the airwaves here. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Turbulence. We'll be back next week here on WMUC Sports.